And it seemed to her that morning, as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew. Almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? I love the Jesus Storybook Bible and the way that um, Sally Lloyd-Jones has distilled for us the truths of the narrative of God's Word and the way that she makes it so beautiful and so poetic. I love the way that when I read it with my son, even this morning, uh, that it causes us to ask questions. (laughs) Sometimes questions that, if I'm honest, are uncomfortable to hear my almost four-year-old son ask me because I have to think about how do I take this truth and distill it in a way that, yeah, you can understand and not just create a whole bunch of more questions. But what I realize is that these questions, ones even like this, that cause us to think about, is God really making everything sad come untrue? Is he really making even death come untrue? They're good. They're good for us to wrestle with. It's important for us to wrestle with them and to think deeply about these things that are central and even foundational to our faith as Christians. I would say to you this morning that the answer to those two questions of God making everything sad come untrue and God making death come untrue and and is God or could it seem like he was making the whole world anew, I would answer yes, 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 he is, he did through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I would also be honest with you to say that there's questions again that come from those questions. And I think an important one would be to ask this, as my son did, he said, Dad, why, why does the world need to be made anew actually? Or why are there sadness and death that need to be made untrue? Or even, when is that all going to happen? Because I look around, and as Juliet prayed this morning, it's been a year of great joy and surprise in many ways, but it's also been a year of great pain and sadness and sorrow. So if God, through the resurrection, really was making death and sadness come untrue, and he was really making the world anew again, well, when is that all going to happen? When is that coming to fruition? Well, this morning we do. We celebrate Easter. And Easter, I just want to remind us, is this. It's a day that calls us to remember that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he conquered death with life. So that all humanity could have the opportunity to experience the miracle of living in newness of life in relationship with him. And as I've thought about today, as I've thought about our celebration, as I've thought about our time The one thing I think God kept reminding me of was this, that it's important for us to understand what we're celebrating in order for us to actually truly celebrate it. And in order to do that, we need to understand the larger context, the larger story in which we celebrate. Meaning the the resurrection isn't or wasn't just a, a single, solitary, isolated event in history, though it is the most important event in all of history. But that it's an event that follows and is part of the great plan that God has for all of history, this unified plan, unified by his love, by his purposes, the story of which we find here in Scripture, in what we call the Bible. That what God has done is he's made the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, yes, the, the, the center and the climax of history, it is the turning point, but it's not just a single isolated event. It reminds us of a past, and even more importantly, it points us to a future. And as we live here in the time now, And we wrestle with these questions of, did God really make everything sad come untrue? Is God really making death come untrue? It reminds us of the great hope and the great joy that we have both now and a future to come. 
You've heard me talk often here at Missio, and if you're a guest, good morning. My name is Dominic. So glad that you're here celebrating Easter with us. Um, we talk a lot about the gospel or the story of God and his unified plan of, of love for all of history. We talk about it in, in four themes, and I want to I talk about those a little bit this morning before we really talk about the resurrection. But the unified plan or story of God and his love, it, there's, it can fall in four, four categories. There's the creation, there's fall, there's redemption, and there's consummation. Or another way to speak of that is even the new creation. The fact that someday all things are going to be made new again. And just to remind us again of the context and, and what the resurrection really is, here's, here's what creation is, it, real, real simply. It's, it's that the one true God, the creator God, who is perfect in nature, who is love, he created the world and all the cosmos as an expression of his love and his goodness. The pinnacle of that expression being humanity, which he created to bear his image and his likeness. And part of being made in his image and his likeness is that we have a free will. We have a right to choose. He doesn't force us, but he loves us, and he invites us to respond to that love, though sometimes we don't. Hence the fall. The fall, I would say, is this. It's that our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first created beings, the first ones to bear God's image and likeness, they were lied to and they were tricked by the devil. And they were tricked into looking for life where there actually is no life. And this rebellion against God, it caused all of humanity from that time forward to be born dead as it relates to God and his life. And therefore, since that fall, all of creation has been tainted and it's been twisted by the effects of sin. Tainted and twisted by the effects of the first humanity looking for life where there is no life. But we know that's not the end of the story. And I believe that at the very moment that Adam and Eve began to look for life where there was no life, I believe that that's the very moment where redemption began. That God in his love for us, in his love for humanity, in his love for all of creation, he began at that very moment to begin to put back together that which had been broken and twisted and tainted because humanity said, I want to look for life apart from you. And so God called to himself a people. God gave to him covenants. God called specific leaders, men and women, specially gifted in different ways at different times to, to lead people back to a place of knowing and loving him, being in relationship with him. And yet we know that even that didn't go exactly as God intended. And so what God did was send his son, the eternal son, his one and only son, into the world to take on flesh, to take on all of humanity, born in our image and in our likeness, in order to model for us what it would look like for humanity to live in, in love with God and to show this beautiful new way of life in relationship with God. That's the first step of the redemption, the life of Christ. And what we celebrated on Friday, on Good Friday, was the second part of the redemption, the death of Christ. That Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin, making the way for us to be restored in right relationship with God. Some of you have heard it or have known it this way, John three sixteen and 17. that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish or die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And after the death on the cross, after three days, the resurrection. The story that we just heard, the resurrection being this, that God raised Christ from the dead and he conquered death with life, again, so that we could have newness of life. 
This, this is the ultimate turning point of history. The ultimate display of God's love for humanity. The ultimate display of God's power to recreate, to, yes, make all things new. To make those things which were sad, which were dead, untrue. And yet even that, again this morning, what we celebrate is that even that is not the end of the story. But the end of the story, rather, is the consummation. It's a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. I want to read for you from Revelation chapter 21. That this, this is going to be the grand end of the story. And this is a huge part of what we celebrate today. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 7 says this. And it says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne I propose to you that that loud voice is the risen Christ, Christ the King, sitting in his rightful place, back on the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, the resurrected and risen Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his or her God, and he or she will be my son or my daughter. This, I want to remind us this morning, is actually the grand end of the story. This is what we celebrate this morning, is that God did indeed raise Jesus Christ from the dead, conquering death with life in order that you and I might have the option, the opportunity, the possibility of experiencing newness of life restored in relationship with God our Creator. The God who is love, the God who is good, the God who oversees and rules and reigns over all things only in love. See in this, this, this picture here of this consummation of this new creation, Jesus says, I am making all things new. A work done by him, a work started in him as the Alpha, a work finished by him as the Omega, a work that as it says making, it's it's, it's a truth that is present and it's progressive. It's currently happening and it's moving toward something. And he speaks of that both there in the end, which just is amazing to me. But we can hear that now on this side as a prophetic promise of, that God, if, if, if at that point, still He's making all things new, that now is the process, now is the beginning of that making of all things new. As we stand here today celebrating the resurrection, the fact that God did overcome death with life through His Son, Jesus Christ. I love too, though, that what Jesus points to here, the center and the focus of all things being able to be made new is what? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God, He, creator of all, lover of all, 
will be with them. And they will be with Him, He as their God. That the center, the focus, the reality, what brings this and makes it true, it's the restoration of relationship. It's not all things new just kind of out there on their own, but it's all things new restored in relationship with God who created in the beginning all things good out of love as an expression of His love. It reminds me of the verses we read again in John 3.16 and 17 where it said that, that, that God gave His one and only Son and that those who believe in Him would have eternal life. See, what I want to remind us this morning, I think what the resurrection reminds us and points to is that eternal life, often we think of it as perpetual existence, but that's not what eternal life is. That's not what it meant in the original Hebrews, if they thought about it, it's not what it means, meant to the Greeks. Eternal life is this. Eternal life, again, is not perpetual existence, but it's a whole new kind of life. It's a whole new kind of existence. It's a whole new quality of existence, a quality of existence that is defined by relationship with God, with closeness to Him, through faith in the power and the love of God, who did indeed raise His Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. John, a number of chapters later, in John 17, 3, he would say this. He would say, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, that eternal life is not perpetual existence. It's not just this life, this existence, what I have right now, just eternity forever for a hundred years, for a thousand years, for a million years. I think a lot of you would agree with me. I, I don't want my current existence right now forever. For so many reasons. But what we celebrate is all things being made new in relationship with God. Again, meaning that eternal life, is, is, it's a whole new kind of life. It's a whole new kind of existence. Again, defined by and focused on this relationship, this invitation to know the living God, the resurrected God, now. And so as we think about and hear about new heaven, new earth, new creation that is possible someday, celebrating the resurrection today reminds us that we're invited to experience actually the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation, the newness of life in many parts here today. And it's possible Because that existence is all centered and focused around relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God. God who came into the world and died on the cross for you and for me, paying for the penalty of all of our sin, wiping away all of our guilt, all of our shame, giving us a clean slate, a right standing before God without condemnation. Only love, only acceptance, only freedom to stand there before the God who created us. And the grave couldn't hold him. But God raised him from the dead. And I, it reminds me this. I think often again, the second thing that, that I feel I, I want to remind us of is often when we think about Christian redemption or we think about Christian salvation, we think of it often as just God reaching down and grabbing us out and then plopping us on the ground and going, okay, there you go. I saved you from that stuff and now, now you're good to go. But I want to tell you a little story this morning that, that to me this week as I reflected on it and thought about it, reminded me, I think, of the more fuller picture of, of Christian redemption, of Christian salvation. And the picture would be this. It's a picture of salvage. That when, when you hear the word salvation, I want to encourage you to hear the word salvage. That when God saved us, what God didn't do was just pull us out and save us and then leave us there in our same exact state and place. 
But what God did is he pulled us out and he pulled us up. And then he, he salvaged. He renewed. He transformed. See, when I was five or six years old, I loved the water. What I loved even more than the water was I loved balls. If you threw a ball or you kicked a ball, I probably was just going to go chase it, whether you meant it to be towards me or not. And so growing up, there was two families that we hung out with a lot. One was the Catandella family, and one was the Chidos. And the Catandellas had an above-ground pool. And they had this beautiful, amazing above-ground pool with this big backyard, and attached to that above-ground pool is this huge deck. And so one day, my siblings were out there, and the Chidos had like four kids all older than us, and the Catandellas had five kids kind of my age and younger. So it was this mix of kids. We're all out there, and we're, we're throwing balls. And my, my, my brothers could swim. My older brothers could swim. My, the, the, the Chidos could all swim. And we're out there, and they're, they're throwing balls. And I'm sitting on the deck watching this, and they're throwing balls. And my brother's diving. My older brother, he's diving off the deck into the pool, like catching, and, you know, touchdown. Like, it was amazing. And I was sitting on the deck eating my snacks, and then a ball went. And I just got up and ran, and I dove, and I, I, ugh, and I didn't catch it. And I, yes, I did land in the water, and guess what? I didn't know how to swim. But I, I just, again, a ball was thrown in my vicinity, and I went for it. I thought, this is awesome. And I, all I remember is I'm sitting there floundering, and I hear my sister, who's about three years older than me, and she goes, he can't swim. And so after I'm floundering for a bit, I felt somebody grab me, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm sideways like this, and I'm up on the deck, and I look up, and Jason Chido, standing above me, he had pulled me out, and he sets me on the deck, and he looks at me, and he goes, bro, can't you swim? And I said, no, I can't. And he said, you can't swim? And my older brother's laughing, and I said, no, I can't. And so Jason looked at me. He kind of grabbed me by the shoulders. He looked at me, and he said, well, we're going to have to fix that this summer, aren't we? And I said, I, I would like that. That would be cool. And so what Jason did was that summer, and we would go to the Chidos all the time, or we'd go to, we'd go to, we'd go to the Catandells all the time, and the Chidos would come over. And Jason was in high school. He was, a, he was a swimmer. He was a soccer player. He was a stud guy. And what he did that summer, he faithfully, every time we were there and he was there, he'd put me in the pool, and he would teach me how to swim. Arm in front of arm, hand under my belly, teach me to kick, and he taught me how to swim. See, I think that's a picture of the salvation that, that God has given us. He doesn't just save us and pulls us out of the water and then place us there on the deck by ourselves and go, okay, I, I hope you have good luck like not repeating the same mistakes you did before. He doesn't just leave us in our current condition. But what he does is he looks at us and goes, no, this current condition actually isn't okay. And this current condition breaks my heart. And I have the power and the ability to do something about this condition. And out of my love for you, I am going to. I'm going to salvage your life. I'm going to recreate your life. I'm going to give you new life because I love you and I want to empower you to live life the way that I created and intended you to in relationship, in love with the God who created your very being. All things made new. A new heaven, a new earth, all of it restored in relationship with the God of creation. That begins and that starts now. Because eternal life, again, it's not just the same existence perpetuated forever. Eternal life is about relationship with the Creator. And what we celebrate today is that that is possible because God raised Christ from the dead and He conquered death with life. And so this morning, whether you're here as a guest and somebody invited and you stepped into church, or if you're part of Missio and you've been a follower of Christ for your whole life, I remind you and I encourage you and I ask you this morning, as you think about the resurrection, as you think about the hope that you have, as you think about the joy that you have, as you think about the story, the great story of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, new creation, as you think about it all, in your heart and in your mind, is God really 
making everything sad come untrue? Does God really have the power to make even death come untrue? Because if you believe that God did indeed raise Christ from the dead and conquer death with life, then what the resurrection gives us and what the the, the story of the resurrection gives us and the story of the new heaven and the new earth, what it gives us is two things. Same thing, but two very different things. It gives us a very powerful and present hope and joy for today. And it gives us a very powerful and someday very present hope for for the future. We don't know when that future day is coming. But the present hope and joy that we have calls us to live for that day of redemption, that day of new creation. And I want to just give you that. But here's what I think that looks like today. Here's what I think it means for Jesus to be making all things new in your life today because of the future, the current and the future hope and promise that we have in Christ. That ever-present hope and joy allows us to be continually made new as new creations in Christ. And what it means is this. It doesn't mean that if I accept Christ or put my faith in Christ, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm not going to get sick and have a cold for two weeks. Or that we're going to be fighting colds in our house for two months straight. Or that loved ones aren't going to get sick and die. Or that I'm not going to have hardship in my life. Or that I'm not going to have times when I feel down. Or I'm not going to have times when I feel rejected. It doesn't mean everything's automatically going to be beautiful and perfect and easy. No, it doesn't mean any of that at all. But what it means is that in the midst of all of that, And when that stuff goes on, the hope and the joy of the resurrection compels me and propels me to continue to move and live forward in faith until the day when Christ one day is coming back and will make all things new again. And so what it means today is that my view and my understanding of myself is radically and totally different. I'm made new. What it means is that my view and understanding of life and its circumstances and all of the people that I encounter in life, my view of them is different. All things made new. What it means is that the way that I interact with my relationships with people, all things new. The expectations that I have of people, made completely new. My, My experience and my expectations of work, radically transformed. That view, all things new. My relationship with money, all things new. With pleasure, all things new. With pain, with sorrow, my hopes, my dreams for myself and for this world, all of it made new. When I live in the faith and belief and the trust of the God who conquered death with life through his son, Jesus Christ. All things made new. Presently now, as I'm in the process of being made into the new creation that I already am in Christ, and someday in the future, all things radically made new. Not perpetuated. No, 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 no. Completely new. Completely transformed. Completely redeemed and restored in the love of God because he's the God who conquered death with life. I invite you to consider that today, this week as we celebrate. And I hope that you would land with me in the place of saying, yeah, my my greatest hope, my greatest joy, both now and the thing that I look forward more than anything, is the day when all things are completely made new, the day of that consummation, the day of that new creation. And I hope that you would find yourself in that story again and again and again. Not putting aside the resurrection, but no, allowing it to continue to be a central and key piece of your story. Because I believe that God wants all of our stories to be a part of his great and grand story of, of the redemption and creating all things new.